Hola, Leah Pika here. Today's guest is a renowned social media expert and pro speaker who's here to get you interactive with your audience. Stay tuned to find out who's dropping the wisdom on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 48. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics, visualizations, and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hello, my dear listener, and welcome to the 48th episode of the Present Beyond Measure Show, the only podcast at the intersection of presentation, data visualization, and analytics. This is the place to be if you're ready to make maximum impact and create credibility through your thoughtfully presented marketing insights. September is closing out in a big way. At time of airing, I'll be in Denver speaking at the NIO Summit. That's the Nonprofit Innovation and Optimization Summit and gearing up for a very exciting fall schedule. So a few episodes back, I promised you a tip-off to the exciting new venture that I've just started. It has been years in the sort of making, and that is, drumroll, my first book. Yes, I just began penning my first real-life book with an amazing publishing consultancy called Scribe Media. Highly recommend them for helping you realize a passion that you have in the nonfiction world. And I am stoked because we've come up with a very unique spin on how to level up your data presentation skills. A little hint, it will be talking about data communication dysfunction of an epidemic proportion and empower you with a new prescriptive way of thinking about how to approach your data stories And the sage wisdom from many of my past podcast guests will be featured in the book. And I'll be also looking to you for your stories in presenting data effectively, or not so much. So very exciting. I'm working on it every single day. We are slated to release it in November of 2020. So to get on a special waitlist to hear all the latest developments, uh, pre-order, exclusive bonuses, visit leahpika.com slash the book to stay in the loop. And if you're in the Boston area in a few weeks, come meet me at Digital Summit. I'll be delivering my signature Pika Protocol Keynote, your prescription for healthy, actionable data stories. The link to registration is on the show notes page for this episode at leahpika.com slash 048. And one last thing, I am still running the promotion on my data presentation and storytelling bootcamp online course bundle. It is a comprehensive, immersive online course on demand that is the course that I wish existed when I started out presenting data as a digital marketer 15 years ago. It's bundling three of my flagship private workshop courses together at a huge discount. And I'm leaving this open due to popular demand, but I can tell you that this promotion will not last very long. So if you want to keep your audience engaged and inspire action with your insights, visit leahpika.com bootcamp and sign up. 
So the reason why I am particularly excited about today's guest, and I realize that every episode I talk about how that I am excited about today's guest. It should be assumed that I'm excited about every guest. So what I'll do is talk about the why. The reason why is because it's rare when I encounter someone at a conference that really nails the presentation and leaves me wanting more, thinking more, and having them become the perfect next guest for this show. And this guest drops some wisdom that I think I'm going to be using for the rest of my speaking career. And it's just incredible to hear about this person's journey from a surprising start to where he is now as a globally recognized speaker. On to the show. Hello, hello, and welcome. I am so excited to introduce today's guest. He is the author of an amazing book called The End of Marketing, Humanizing Your Brand in the Age of Social Media and AI. Very appropriate for this audience. He's also an international keynote speaker and an award-winning digital storyteller with over a decade of experience leading social media strategies for global brands, including LinkedIn, Winn-Dixie, Save-A-Lot, and BMC Software. His work has been featured by CNN Money, Harvard Business Review, Mashable, and my favorite social media examiner, in addition to a host of other publications. And presently, he is the founder and CEO of Gill Media, which is a full-service digital marketing firm in LA, which works with Fortune 500 clients. And he blew me away during his keynote at the Digital Summit Philadelphia last month. No joke. It was amazing. So I am so pleased to welcome today Mr. Carlos Gill. Hello. Hey, how's it going? That is such an amazing introduction. I, I wish every podcast host and even conference I speak at would give me like such a nice introduction. A lot of times <laughs> they just say like we're joined by Carlos Gill. Yes. I think you saw that in Philly. So thank you for that, that warm intro. I appreciate oh, it. You're welcome. And actually, people have mentioned that before. And I believe that the guests on my show are the most valuable intellectual capital. They're an incredible resource, so they should be celebrated with all the fanfare I can possibly muster. <laughs> that's my that's my signature move. So we met at Digital Summit Philly, as I said, and I, I have to say I was really taken by certain elements of your presentation. You not only had outstanding delivery skills and woven humor in a really effective way, which is very challenging, and you had a super compelling narrative and story, but you also even used uh, visuals like animation and video in really creative ways that I'm even trying to explore to see how I can take my stuff to the next level. But before we dive in about what it is you do and how you present we all love a good origin story. How did you fall into this world of digital storytelling and professional speaking? That's a really good question, Leah. So I actually started my career way back in 2002 as a banker. <laughs> and my my kind of personal journey and professional journey is interesting. So I uh, decided to drop out of high school at 17 and get my GED. And that's something that I really didn't talk a lot about throughout my 20s because I was really ashamed by it. And the older I become, the older I've become, I'm 36 now, it's 
you know, one of those things that I, I'm actually proud to talk about because I want individuals to know that the formal education that you get isn't something necessarily that's going to replace real world work <laughs> and experience that you gain along the way. So I dropped out of high school early on in my youth, decided to work in retail which is really where I honed in on my interpersonal skills and my sales skills. And from there, I uh, got my first corporate job at 19 working for Citigroup. So I started my career, my actual professional career in banking at a very young age. While a lot of my friends were going off to college, I you know, got my GED, didn't go to college. And at a very young age, I learned in the real world the power of presentation if you will. Everything from how you posture yourself in meetings, hand gestures, animations, et cetera, et cetera. And when you work in finance, when you work in banking, you, you think a lot on your feet and yes. how you communicate is very important regardless of how old you are, how educated you are, formally speaking or not. So I worked in banking for the first six years of my career and then got laid off in 2008 due to the recession. And the downturn in the economy, which obviously affected the banking industry. So I'm 25 years old at this point. It's 2008. And I'm asking myself, what the heck am I going to do? Right. At the time, my, my kids were really young. Uh, I, you know, my daughter had just been born and wow. I didn't have, I didn't have many options. I didn't have a fallback plan. I didn't have money saved up. I didn't have a network. So it's interesting because a lot of the things I talk about today, whether it's through one-on-one -on -one mentorship, whether it's through, you know, conferences like the one where you met me and saw me speak, what I'm really trying to do is get people to see the value of using digital communications and social media marketing because I'm a big proponent of it based on simply how it helped me transform my career. So I was really thrown into the fire, you know, headfirst and it was up to me to find a way to sink or swim during the recession. And quite frankly, my hero's journey or my hero's story isn't one that entails making millions of dollars and you know, exiting from a company. It was starting a company um, bootstrapping. It was an online job board that I created called Jobs Direct USA. And it was through that entity where I forced myself to learn digital marketing. I had zero marketing budget. I didn't have any money saved up. And the events that I did through my business called Pink Slip Parties, these were <laughs> events that were intended to bring people together to find jobs. And it was a real simple concept. I would, I would find local bars in various cities, such as Jacksonville, Florida, where I lived at the time, Orlando, Miami, Atlanta. Um, we even went up to you know, areas like Detroit that were really impacted by the recession. And I would go to bars and I would ask them for an off night in which I could promote an event. And we're not talking about like DJ Khaled performing at a club. We're talking about <laughs> literally events where people who were unemployed at the time would go to network with recruiters. So this is really what I did to occupy myself throughout the years of 2009 and 10 and 11. And again, I was really young back then and, you know, somewhat naive and I learned digital marketing and much of what I know today and, and, and speak about today, I learned really through trial and error. There was no rhyme or reason about it. Um, throughout this process, news media, 
started featuring my story. I started getting wind that I was doing these events called Pink Slip Parties. Uh, CNN Money featured me. Fast Company named me one of the top 50 most influential people online in 2010, which is amazing. I saw that, yeah. Like I think nowadays that would never happen just because of the way social media has exploded. But back then, I was able to get in at, at really at the ground level. And what that led me to was eventually getting hired by Winn-Dixie Supermarkets, uh, which is one of the larger supermarket chains in the United States. They hired me as their first ever social media manager. And then that really became the next phase of my career where I graduated, if you will, from being a young entrepreneur to then working in brand marketing, which was remarkable considering the fact that I was able to get these incredible jobs with no college degree. <laughs> I was able to, to go work at a company like LinkedIn where I ran social media for a period of time. I was able to get jobs running digital marketing at Save A Lot. And then today, you know, I have my own company. I'm really blessed and fortunate to to be able to do things that I really have a passion for, which is like public speaking and consulting right. and being able to just do things like this with you. 11 years ago really wasn't possible because I was just in the trenches of, of hustling to build a brand and even build a brand for myself. Well, that is an incredible story. And, you know, I was just having this discussion with my mother recently on how invaluable a college education or higher ed is, that it's an absolute minimum in order to carve your path in today's economy. And sometimes we go back and forth and saying, I think that job economy is changing. People want to see results, not pieces of paper on the wall necessarily. And I'm just finding so much uh, that there's a book I'm reading right now uh, called Super, uh, The One Critical Skill, something mm-hmm. like that you must have. And um, it was written by Jonathan Levy, who is the author of the Super Learner Methodology. And kind of similar thing, he, he talks about how experiential learning and practice is really the vital skill, the currency of job satisfaction and I think stability. Right. Um, when it comes to that. So what an amazing, I, I just love hearing that and how your path developed over time and the gratitude in your voice that, you know, looking at where you were and seeing the influence you're having today. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad that you bring that up because so many times people meet me through the internet and I'd say like 90% of people that, that meet me, it's through social media. And then like the other 10% is it's more organic. It's conferences, it's events that I go to. But with that being said, most people that meet me, the first thing that they see is what's on the surface. They see a book, they see them speaking, I'm traveling, and they always say the same thing like, oh man, you're killing it. And it's one of those phrases that like, I get where people are coming from and it's, it's, it's a phrase of endearment. But at the same time, it's one that I have to turn around on the individual and say like, you just learned about me. So from your standpoint, I'm killing it. I've been killing it for the last 11 years. You just didn't know I existed. And, you know, and so, so many people will compliment what they see me doing, but they don't realize like this is such a long grind. It's such a yeah. long journey just to get to this point. And like, there's times where I look back and I ask myself, like, did I get in the game too late? Because mm. there are, there's kids nowadays that are 18 and 19 years old <laughs> that are entrepreneurs, but you know, we each have our own story to tell. And I think that's where, you know, it, where everything originates from, it, it's what makes you unique, what makes you yeah. different. And when I step on stage to speak at a conference, 
even though I really don't have time to tell people my story because I'm there to speak about the subject matter that you know I'm being hired to speak about, the reality is that I enjoy motivating, educating, inspiring people through the journey that I have because I think there's a little piece that's relatable to everyone. Like how many people do you know, whether it's you or just someone else, like how many people do you know that have lost their job before? I'm sure you know someone. A lot. <laughs> people, you know, I've had to bounce back from adverse, from adversity. I'm sure that you know individuals. So when I connect the dots to my story to what I do today, which is marketing and social media, it's all about humanizing who you are as a brand. And I think if more companies can do that going forward by weaving in real stories of the impact that they're making, whether within the organization or externally, then that's like really the winning recipe for success. I love that so much. And I remember picking that up from your talk where it seemed to be where, you know, you see a title like the end of marketing and you're at a marketing conference and you're like, what? <laughs> so it has plenty of shock value, but it's more about the, it's almost like individual story marketing and, you know, one-on-one -on -one engagement marketing rather than this mass blanketing of here, you need this. And we're not going right. to tell you why. <laughs> right. Um, that's what I think is so powerful about your message. And I have to say, I can relate sometimes to feeling like I might be outdated or become <laughs> obsolete with, you know, these young folks where when I went to school, I studied business, but very little of it had to do with my actual job of internet marketing, which was the wild west back when I started. Oh, it's and, still the wild, wild west. <laughs> yeah, no, back, back then, I mean, sites still had hit counters on them when I, uh, when I got in the field. But um, there's this idea that, you know, computers are becoming obsolete, faster processors, faster people. And for me, what I've tried to focus on a lot like you is that you have a singularly unique story that no one else has, even if it's similar. You have a voice and a message and a delivery mechanism and just a perspective that no one else can possibly have. So for the listeners who sometimes struggle with thinking, well, I don't have anything valuable to say, or I don't know as much as other people in this field. I hear these kinds of, you know, uh, negative beliefs or limiting beliefs all the time. It's great to see that even though sometimes you encounter that, you focus on your unique brilliance. Yeah, you know, it's important regardless of what, what field that you're in, that if you're looking to build a brand, digitally speaking, that you really hone in on the power of you. And I think there's people that have come across that when I say this to them, they're like, well, you know, self-promotion is a turnoff, but this isn't about self-promotion. It's really about winning people over by what makes you unique and what makes you stand out. You know, mm -hmm. when you think of it, you have over 7 billion people in this world. We all have a story that led us to how we got here. I think the most important question that you'll be asked throughout your lifetime, at least as an adult, is going to be, tell me about yourself. You know, the same way that you just asked me to, to, to kind of tee up my story that then leads into further conversation like this, that happens over and over. When you meet someone at a conference, when you meet someone online, when you meet someone at a networking event, people want to know about you. So they do more, more importantly, like if you can explain who you are, what you do within 30 seconds, then I'll take it one step further. Not just who you are and what, what, what you do, but what you can do to help others. You'll never be out of work. That was exactly what I was thinking is 
rather than just the a stock you know, a 30 second elevator pitch every time, if you're able to think about the context of the person asking or the audience present, wh- what your, how your story fits into their context and overcomes the objections or obstacles you believe they're facing, then you're solid gold. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> So I'd love to talk about your book for a moment. It's not really about the show theme of presenting or data viz, but I think the themes of storytelling, especially in the digital world, are super Mm -hmm. relevant. So first question is, why did you decide to write this book when we're in this digital age, you know? (laughs) You know, the reason why I wrote The End of Marketing is because, quite frankly, marketing on social media has become stale. It, it really has. Uh, you have brands that are taking to social media every single minute of the day to sell. And they're not seeing the results that they're hoping to see because consumers have learned how to tune out brands on social media. No different than they are changing the channel on TV or they are, you know, changing the dial on the radio. Like think about premium services even today like Pandora or Spotify, um, Sirius XM radio where you can pay to avoid being advertised to by having a premium account. So what, okay. I, want, what I want anyone that opens up this book first of all, to walk away with is that there is a strategy in this book that's going to help you future-proof your business and your career over the next decade as we encounter what I refer to as the AI apocalypse. And what the AI apocalypse means is that over the next 10 years, we will begin to see advancements in technology in which AI or artificial intelligence will effectively start replacing jobs. It can it can mean everything from taking data that already exists and AI being able to make smarter decisions than a human being. It might mean humans having to start programming AI to do work for them. But we will get to a point where AI jobs, otherwise known as robots, will replace human beings. So the strategy behind the end of marketing is that, first of all, marketing as we know it is dead. It's over. (laughs) You need to focus on humanizing your brand because the biggest difference between AI and a human is just that. You're a human, Mm, right? And at the end of the day, people relate to people. People buy from people. So staying along those lines, people today are brands. And I write about celebrities like your Kim Kardashians and DJ Khaled's throughout the book. And I also bring to light the fact that today's brands, being people, have more power on the internet than traditional corporations do. And I think you you might have executives that open up this book and it's going to be – there's going to be a lot of shock and awe in it. But I didn't write the book just for a Fortune 500 executive. I wrote the book for, first of all, anyone that, that uses social media marketing in their business. Yeah, and that can be, you know, someone that is in an entry level job, a small business owner, all the way up to a C-suite executive. So if you use social media in your business and really want to learn how to humanize your brand, then you need to follow the steps that I share. And it begins with, first of all, addressing why are you on social media, <laughs> using social media to effectively listen to what's being said about your brand and your competition, and then starting to take your customers and your employees and transform them into the faces of your company. And if you can start replacing the logo with a human face, then guess what? You'll at least be several steps further ahead than your competition. Wow. That's pretty mind-blowing, making your logo a human face of one of your stakeholders or customers and whatnot. I resonate with that a lot because I am a person with a brand, 
who's trying to get more human in a corporate field where it ten, it can be a bit dry and you want to kind of look perfect and polished and and all of that but what i'm finding is that the more real i'm getting with my audience even though some of those cracks can show and the more vulnerable i'm getting the more power it seems to create both for them and for me mm. and that's really it is really fascinating and i wonder if it's because partly because a brand feels like this sort of impermeable collective entity like a hive that isn't that it doesn't have an individualistic sense about itself and then people are these strong singular voices that humans can attach to in a way that's really fascinating well um you know you mentioned that there was a very important takeaway that you want people, every business, and I'm assuming you're speaking about not just large businesses, but also, you know, entrepreneurs. So what is a very important takeaway that you want everyone to follow after reading your book? So I'd say like a key takeaway that I want individuals to follow is first of all, stop selling on social <laughs> media and start engaging and really take the time to invest to discover who's speaking about your company, your products and services, and your competition. And I share this in my talks. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, what these social networks truly are is two, two things. One, they're digital advertising platforms. So these companies, i.e. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, et cetera, they want you to invest in leveraging their data to, to run ads. That's, that's you know really the objective of why these social networks exist. Number two is their search engines. So you can leverage platforms, for example, like Instagram to run a hashtag search for your company name. Or let's say, for example, you sell insurance, you can run a hashtag search for hashtag life insurance or hashtag <laughs> right. health insurance. Like you can leverage these social networks to collect data of your own. And I think most people like gloss over that because they're so focused on the sale. They're focused on what they can get out of it right now. Well, guess what? If you stop selling and you just start using these social networks to truly engage and build a community, what you're going to discover over time is that you have real customers, real buyers sitting in front of you. And I can slice this and dice this, you know, eight ways to Sunday, regardless of what <laughs> industry you're in. Like if you're a public speaker, you can use Twitter to look up call for speakers. If you're, you know, in any business, like it's just how you manipulate these searches and run the searches. So I think that's going to be the greatest probably key takeaway. That's not rocket science, but it's just reconditioning people's thoughts to think of social networks, less about posting content, but more about collecting data from it and using it truly for lead generation. That is invaluable. And I'm going to um, change some of my own strategies. <laughs> I, I really like that, you know, I, I've written down, stop selling, start listening. Mm -hmm. And I am not the best listener when it comes to social media. I kind of like go in, drop a bomb and I'm like, bye, <laughs> back, right. to my, back to my cave. And I think that's really fascinating. And um, I want to mention, uh, you might be familiar with Rand Fishkin, formerly yeah, of sure. Moz. So uh, Rand went to form a new company called Spark Toro, and he is working on, um, you know, a really fascinating social research tool where you can actually like see what people are um, researching. Uh, if, if they're researching around a certain topic, where are the places that they're gathering 
it is so fascinating and invaluable. So I'm excited for that to come out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so what do you think brands are getting wrong on digital media other than, you know, they're, they're selling obviously. Here's the thing. It's, it's not so much about the brand itself that I want to, I want to, you know, throw shade at in this moment with this question, because a brand in the day, Leah is a logo. Mm. Okay. What makes up that brand? So here's the thing. I think we always put so much power into talking about the brand, the brand, the brand. At the end of the day, the brand is a group of people. It's a collective of people <laughs> in marketing specifically, which are the ones that are responsible for everything that you see on social media. Mm -hmm. So when people ask me, well, what makes you, Carlos, different than other marketers? Well, it's the fact that I've worked at four different companies running social media. So I get how all this works from the inside, which then is what you see on the outside. So it's the people that are under the gun and under pressure to produce and drive ROI right now. Now. Most mm -hmm. social media marketers, whether it's every month or every quarter, have to meet with their boss and then their boss meets with their boss's boss and they have to truly justify what value social media is driving to the organization. So right. I can sit here and tell you like, look, this is a long play. It took me 11 years of using social media to build a brand, get a book deal, become a bestseller. Most marketers <laughs> don't have 11 days right, right to, 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 to truly drive ROI. Like, they're transactional driven, they're campaign driven, they're thinking about my next campaign and how do I drive metrics and how do I gamify the system in order to justify keeping my job for like another quarter. Like that's, that's real talk. Yeah. So the reality is that as there's advances in marketing through technology, again, AI, right. all of this is going to come to a head. So yeah. I'm hopeful that marketers Start thinking more on the level of being less a marketer and more of a customer advocate. Mm, I love that too. Wow, lots of quotables on this one. And Carlos, where is there a specific example that you're seeing where AI is being leveraged already in a really eye-opening way for social? Uh, you know, there's an Instagram account called Lil Michaela. Okay. And if you go to this Instagram account, Lil Michaela, what you're going to find is an AI generated influencer. Oh. And it is what appears to be almost like a 19 year old female. Huh. You see literally this character interacting with celebrities, taking photos with brand apparel, <laughs> going to Coachella. It's like the gnarliest thing. Okay. <laughs> and it's a person. That wow. doesn't exist, but yet has over a million followers on Instagram and oh is verified God. on Instagram. That should be a wake up call to every single individual, whether you work for a company or not, or if you just have a presence yourself, that we are getting ready to enter Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Oh, gosh. <laughs> in which you can't really tell the difference whether you're speaking to a real human being or not. And that's that's pretty scary and it should be eye opening. That is scary and eye-opening. It, it kind of brings to mind this whole deep fake controversy happening where, you know, you rely on news media and now the internet and Twitter as the number, as the fastest uh, news outlet. But it's starting to throw into question what reality actually is. And, you know, how can, I wonder, how can brands 
protect their integrity as more of that starts to pass? That's going to be really tough. But I tell you what, it comes down to the relationship that you have with your Mm -hmm. customers and really putting a face behind the brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm even thinking of brands where they've made faces of average people like the Subway guy and Verizon and whatnot, where faces became those brands. It's, It's interesting. Correct. So I'd like to move over to your presentation process. I'm jumping at the bit. So first, how do you incorporate social media interactions into your presentations? Uh, you know, so first of all, when I jump on stage, I the, one of the first things that I say before I just go into my talk is make sure that you follow me on social media at CarlosGill83 and be sure to tag me in tweets along with the conference hashtag. Mm-hmm. So that's really important because most people, what are they doing from their seat? They're tweeting, they're taking photos. So selfishly speaking, I use those tweets as opportunities for lead generation and truly to understand and know who's in the audience. So it's not just about talking the talk, but walking the walk too. As soon as I get off that stage and I'm back in an Uber or on a flight to go to my next destination, I'm researching who was tweeting from the seat about me. So it's important if you want to maximize those opportunities that you remind people to A, use the conference hashtag to tweet and B, you give them up front what your handle is. That way they know who to tag and how to find you. So I'd say like that's perhaps my, you know, best growth hack Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to how I connect social media, my own personal social media with my subject matter expertise. The other is there'll, there'll be maybe two or three times during the talk where I know that there's something I'm saying that's really going to strike gold with the audience. So I'll let them know, like, make sure you write this down or tweet this out. And when you do these presentations over and over again, like you start to realize like the key moments in which people are taking out their phone and snapping a photo. You just already know like, all right, this slide I'm about to go on, I know everyone's going to like grab the phone and they're going to take a picture of it. So it's just, it's, it's again, relationship building. It's having that relationship with your audience so then they feel comfortable with you. You're really commanding authority from the stage and you're also guiding them and giving them some instructions too. That is a really valuable strategy. And I want everyone listening to take note of that because I see a lot of industry presentations, especially by vendors or consultants who want to sell. And I don't see a lot of people recommending using their handle and the hashtag. So I actually do something similar. I I start with an introduction to draw them in, but I drop the same request that you do. But and, and also I have several tweetable slides where I have my handle there and mm-hmm. it's the only time that I actually use like a form of logo typically yeah. on my slides. But I, I've only ever thanked people for their tweets and, and that sometimes followed them. So mm-hmm. I'm dying to know how are you engaging them as lead generation? I think that'd be so valuable to hear. 
So what I do engage them for lead generation and, and, you know, mind you, you have to have a product in order to sell to really start <laughs> thinking of it like leads. Like for the longest time, I didn't have a product, like right. I didn't have a book. So it was more or less like everyone that would, that would tweet at me, I would, you know, engage with them, get them to follow me. And we would just like organically form a relationship. But because throughout my presentation, I'm letting you know, I have a book. I'd right. love for you. I'd love for you to buy it. <laughs> If you took the time, if you took five seconds to tweet something out, first of all, I'm going to thank you for coming to my session. So it's not like I'm just, you know, like, hey, Leah, you came to my session. Go buy my book. But it's like, <laughs> hey, Leah, thank you so much for coming to my talk. Like, that really means a lot. I'll give them a retweet. You know, those little actions mean something to people, yeah. especially when you have a little bit bigger of a following. So I'll retweet, you know, their tweet out to my network, but then okay. I'll follow up and let them know something along the lines of like, hey, thank you so much, Leah, for coming to my talk. Um, you know, I would love for you to pre-order my book, you know, it comes out you know, in October. So, oh, okay. I use that for lead generation. There's other times though, where if it's someone who, for example, I want to get in front of them to do a workshop or sell them agency right. services or what have you, like there's, you know, there's different levels, right? Lead generation. So if it's an individual that I see that there's a, an opportunity for me to get Gil Media in front of them, I'll just straight up say like, hey, I'd, I'd love to chat. Like, thanks for coming to my talk. I'd love to chat, hmm. you know, be on the lookout for a direct message from me. So again, it goes back to That's what I awesome. said in an earlier point, you have to survey and know your audience. Mm -hmm. And that requires not selling, but it requires actually taking the time to see who's speaking about you. Oh, this is so great because I have two events coming up. One is actually with you. And you're going to see me taking all the same strategies. This is really, really valuable because there are a lot of tweets that go out around conference presentations. And I'm now seeing how much I was even missing of that opportunity. So valuable. So, you know, when you're an audience member, how does a presenter win with you? What makes them stand out to you? Um, I would say a couple of things. And over the last five or six years, I've spoken at, gosh, I don't even know how many conferences I've lost count. So I haven't, I haven't really sat in the audience uh, for see. a lot of them because I'm leveraging those events to really network when right. I'm not on stage, work the halls, et cetera. You know, occasionally I'll sit in and do a few talks. I think that what has always turned me off about speakers mm -hmm. is the ones that depend heavily on playing videos during their talk in order to do the speaking for them. Now, ah. mind you, the slides that you saw in Philly mm -hmm. had – it was like animated video slides, but I was talking. That's right. So like when my creative director made the presentation, he said to me like, hey, I'd love to like just jazz up your slides so they jump out at the audience. And I said to him, that's great, but I don't want any audio because right. – I'm going to narrate what people are seeing on, on the screens and talk. Now there's other speakers I've seen that like one third of their presentation <laughs> is video. Like they'll play a video, right. you'll see it. It'll be like a brand campaign, a commercial. And then like, they'll go back and they'll talk. And like, that just turns me off. Cause I think like mm -hmm. you have such limited time to captivate the audience's attention. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, one of the aspects that I want to work on myself over the next year is I want to jump on stage like Gary Vee does and just freestyle just do it, yeah. <laughs> and just not do any slides. Because I think yeah. that the slides, what they do is they take away from your presence on stage. If you're like myself, mm -hmm. high energy, you know, you're dropping keys, 
then you don't necessarily need the slides other than just to be a guide for the people in the audience. So, um, yeah, I'd say like just heavily depending on video, um, I'd say that's like the one thing to me that just has, has stood out. Curious to hear from your thoughts. Yeah. So I guess for me, the, what I predominantly see as a peeve of mine is relying on the slides as a script Mm. visually, like people, and then you can kind of see a lack of preparation or proper transitions come along when people will turn around and face their slide and start talking to the screen and saying, okay, and now this slide is about da 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 next. And then I included this slide and it's, I don't want to see people justifying why they included a slide or even referencing it. I like to use it as a visual extension of my voice. And, right. you know, I, I have kind of a split mind around what you're saying where for sure uh, there's this split second motion that I think happens when you're speaking and the slide changes. It's like their eyes bounce to the screen because they're attracted to movement. And then depending on what's up there can either mm -hmm. reinforce the words coming out of your mouth and not engage them so much that they're immediately coming back to you so they haven't tuned you out. Right. Or they're completely consuming a slide as if it's its own speaker and tuning right. you out. So for me, that's the fine line that I walk and why I've been very judicious with my use of video because it will compete for someone's attention in a certain way. But I liked how it became an, an animated backdrop for you. I hadn't seen really an approach like that, except for when I saw Seth Godin speak live several years ago. Now, I'll be honest with you. That's something that I'm, I'm debating and getting away from the animated <laughs> slides simply because I've had conferences I've spoken at this year that there's been some technical difficulties. Oh, yeah. And, and I was actually having this conversation after the last talk I did last week, which is in Tampa, Florida, where I, I actually went back to just flat slides. So mm -hmm. static, no, no moving parts, just, yeah. you know, you click a button and then it's a, it's a static image. Um, what I said to my creative director is when I'm on stage, I start getting in this flow. Mm -hmm. And when I have, every time I have to hit that click, I find myself pausing. Mm -hmm. And then when you have videos in your slides, you, have to, you actually have to click twice. So you have to click oh, yeah. once to go to the next slide. <laughs> and then you have to click again to actually play the video. Well, there's some venues where there's like this like slight delay. Oh, yeah. And then as a speaker, you're on stage trying to give keys and you're clicking forward, you're clicking back. Like there's just too much room for error that takes away from the presentation. So I get what you're saying. Like the animated slides looks really nice. <laughs> I agree. But you're also at the mercy of AV um, and tech difficulties. And for example, when you saw me speak, there was a big AV failure that happened. Wow. In yeah, in which my computer that was running my presentation somehow got locked up. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, like if I had to freestyle this thing and I'm 10 minutes in, like this is going to be a challenge. Yeah, because even though I've presented my subject matter material like so many times, yeah, it's just like that. Oh, my gosh, moment of what do I do? So. Yeah. 
the less room for error that you have, I think the more effective you can be and focus less on what's on the slides, focus more on what's coming out of your mouth and what you're giving people. I, I, now that you mention it, I remember that moment. And I also remember thinking, wow, he is handling like that, uh, like that a boss. <laughs> it's great that you thought I handled it well, because I thought I handled it awful. I was, I, my shirt was just drenched. Well, we're, we're our own worst critics, right? <laughs> I was sweating. I'm like, oh man, this, this is bad. And it's a really fair point because again, I'm not sure how far I want to go with incorporating that. It's, I think, something to be eased into rather than cannonballing. But it's true, we are trying to up the ante in our talks technologically. And for every ante we up, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but for every notch we go up, we are exposing ourselves to the mercy of what I call Murphy's law of technology. Right. <laughs> so I think that's a fair point. Um, I, I will reiterate, it's really about finding that balance so that you feel really present for your audience. You're staying with yourself right. and with them. And I can see how every time you advance the slide and then click again, and you're waiting for it to play, I could see that really detracting from the level of presence. Mm -hmm. So... I appreciate the words of caution. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I um, for my 2020 keynotes, I'm probably going to go back to flat slides. But with that being said, I think there are ways that you can dress up your presentation so it doesn't look like a standard PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, for example, and I can, you know, if you if you want, like maybe in the show notes to this, I can shoot you a link to like SlideShare and you can see a presentation I really did. Yes. I'd love so that. my creative director, I think you were asking me after my talk, like if I did my own slides and mm -hmm. fortunately I have a resource on my team, um, who's really good at graphics and whatnot. So every, in my flat presentations, my flat slide presentations, he creates every slide as an image. So it's not traditional PowerPoint. The whole, the whole presentation mm. is built in PowerPoint. So like you'll have the functionality of the slideshow, but every graphic on the screen is a image. So you can't even edit it unless you're using, um, I think it's Photoshop he uses for oh. one of those programs. But yeah, it's an actual image with text overlaid on that image. And it's a, like a looping GIF, I guess, in, in that sense. For the or? presentation that you saw, it was a looping GIF, yes. Or okay. as a, it's just a looping video. Right, a video, plays for I like see. maybe two minutes. So again, like that's also the challenge that you face. There's some conferences where after like minute and a half to two minutes, like it's automatically going to the next video. Oh. And you got to be careful of that because yeah. there are venues where like once I hand my laptop over to the AV person, I don't know what they're doing on their end. Right, right. I don't know if they're just hitting like a timer like for the slides to advance every minute and a half to two minutes to ensure yeah. that I stay within the allotted amount of time. I don't know what they're doing. So yeah. there's been conferences where the whole video aspect has just gone haywire. I find again what works better is just flat slides. But – like the old school PowerPoint presentations with like the three dots, you know, the bullet points, yep. all that. Like, I think if you want to, if you want to be cool on stage, <laughs> like you need to evolve from that and maybe work with a designer that can build for you a presentation that looks more modern and every slide's a different experience. That's really helpful. And, you know, I think it is important for presenters to be conscious of 
what elements of unpredictability they're bringing into their presentation, like we talked about with the video and such. So what I've tried to do is ask myself, if I'm bringing in anything other than a regular slide click with images, um, if this animation doesn't work, what will I do in that moment? Um, I set my videos to autoplay so that the slide advance actually triggers the video, but there was a case where even after testing, the video didn't play. And thank God beforehand, I had asked myself, what will I do if this doesn't play? Because I have a feeling it's not going to play. <laughs> and I managed to get right through that moment because I had fully prepared for that eventuality. So that's sort of my approach um, for overcoming stuff like that. Yeah. So I believe that even the most accomplished professional speakers are always on a path of growth. What is the area that you're working on most in yourself? Ah, uh, gosh, that's such a loaded question. Um, you know, what I'm always what I'm always pushing myself harder on is how to be more efficient with how I use my time quite frankly. Mm, okay. So it's not necessarily like, Oh, I want to be smarter at this or I want to get better at doing a specific, like, you know, task other than I realize that the more I become known. So the more that I do speaking engagements, for example, uh, yeah, my book is getting ready to come out here in a couple of weeks. The more that things start to happen for me, the busier I become, the more people that want to meet with me, the more opportunities that come my way. And we still have the same 24 hours in a day. Like that hasn't changed. <laughs> I'm running. Seems less. <laughs> I mean, I'm running my media agency, but I'm also running my personal brand, you know, mm -hmm. and they're kind of woven in together. So it's just really becoming better at balancing my time. Um, I'd say that's, that's what my focus is going to be going forward is how I can be more efficient, how I can be more time, time bound. Um, you know, whether that's working with a, with a virtual assistant, mm. that's kind of taking some things off my plate, whether it's scaling uh, my company by hiring people, you know, I've realized Leah in the last three years, almost I've worked for myself outside of corporate. Like you need people yeah. to work with you, whether it's yes. employees or freelancers or partners, like you need people in order to get things to happen because you can't do it all. You really can't. And I think there's a romanticism around the phrase solopreneur, which is a phrase used in our world where we can do it all because we're a jack of all trades. And you can be a remarkably multifaceted, multi-talented person. But as you said, you know, being a master of none isn't going to allow you to scale your business. And I'm right there with you. That's my number one goal for next year, too. So, Carlos, I call the next section the upgrade, and it's all about a neat or your favorite tool or resource or something you love using right now that's kind of taking what you do to the next level. You know, that's such a good question. Um, first of all, people ask me this question a lot, like, what do you use for like social media tools? And mm. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of old school from the sense of that I do a lot of my posting organically mm -hmm. using the apps on my phone, but there are three tools that come to mind that I um, absolutely love, and the first is Grammarly. Oh, so even though I love to write, 
misspellings happen. I hate for misspellings to appear on social media posts yes. or an email. So I, I literally find myself spell checking everything through Grammarly before I send out an email, before I send out a tweet. So I use that tool. The other one that I use quite a bit is TubeBuddy. YouTube is such a um, undervalued tool um, or social network. It's just overlooked. And if you want to know how I've received, how I get a lot of my inquiries for speaking engagements, it's actually through YouTube. It's really? because I have, yeah, it's, I have over two dozen social media keynotes on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube right now and you type in social media keynote or social media keynote speaker, I dominate that first page. Wow. So TubeBuddy <laughs> has been, um, yeah, TubeBuddy has been great in helping me optimize my videos, optimize my channel. In fact, if you go to TubeBuddy.com forward slash Carlos, you can oh. download it for free. So oh, there's great. a free version of the tool. So that's again, TubeBuddy.com forward slash Carlos. Um, so I know that's going to help anyone that's in speaking probably get more leads. Just put your content on YouTube, optimize it properly with the right titles and right, right keywords. Um, the third tool that I've been using quite a bit is called Agora Pulse. Agora Pulse. So I know Great people, that, yeah, I know um, a lot of people like to use Buffer and Hootsuite and mm. Sprout Social. These are great tools to use, but I don't have the time to go in. Again, it goes back to efficiency. I don't have the time to go in every single day and schedule something out. So Agora Pulse allows you to import a CSV file or an Excel spreadsheet with social media posts already written, including the links. So I use that tool. It's like wow. one, once a month I go in, I import social media posts and then, you know, it's done. Like every day oh I know gosh. there will be content that goes out on all my social networks. Okay. I have to reflect on each of these because <laughs> this is why this is my favorite section of the show. So it's Grammarly is an incredible tool and I definitely use it for blog posts and even longer social media posts like for LinkedIn and such that are longer in format. But I definitely craft my posts on my phone. And I'm mm -hmm. finding that I am a spelling mistake machine, even though I have excellent spelling. <laughs> and I'll review back and I'm like, oh, come on, Leah. So you know, this is helping me instill a new habit to really be more rigorous about where I craft that. And I have to say, it's like Christmas every week getting a report from Grammarly that I have a more unique vocabulary than 96% of users. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> Fancy talk, but um, that's awesome. So for TubeBuddy, okay, and then YouTube, because YouTube is like the last frontier for me. Right. One of my hangups has been the idea of posting my talks in full, because then I think to myself, like, no one's going to actually come see me speak if I do that. But now as I'm thinking through, I'm thinking probably most of the people in the audience, the vast majority will not even know who I am or will have never seen me speak. Right. So, you know, if they've seen my keynote online, you know, how, how, have you felt like that's affected the live experience for you? It, it hasn't. It hasn't. Right. So the thing is, is that every one of my talks, even though the subject matter that you see on the screen is is the same, mm -hmm. every talk is like a concert. There's going to be some variation. There's going to be something different. 
Right. Um, and a lot of times it's just, it's ab lib, right? Like there might be, as I'm on a slide and I start talking about something, I'm reading the body language. I'm seeing heads nodding. I'm seeing people take photos. Like that might take me in a different direction where all of a sudden I start getting motivated to talk about that slide for five minutes. Whereas in the previous talk that you could have seen on YouTube, maybe I glossed over it and spent 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So I'd say you might see so many people in that audience, right? Let's say two, 300 people were in Philly, but YouTube is a lot bigger than that. So right. you're able to distribute your reach a lot greater. And then the thing is like what I've, what I've kind of experienced in my, in my uh, line of work is you almost become like an attraction, right? People <laughs> see you speak online and then they look forward to seeing I you see. speak in person because they want to see you live. It, it, it's again, mm. like I use a lot of comparisons to like music. I love hip hop right. music. So I, I do a lot of comparisons to music meets marketing. And when you go see your favorite musician perform, you might have heard her, him or her on Spotify hundreds of times. You might have heard your song dozens of times, but when you see it in person, there's that aura of seeing it live. Wow. You are completely changing how I've seen this before. And of course, music is the perfect sense for this. I mean, I'm not sure I'll be having like fireworks or flamethrowers on stage, but but you're right. It is a completely different visceral feeling to be in that live energy. Well, I think you just determined what my next social media strategy is going to be. Um, and we have arrived at our final question. So think hard here, Carlos. Imagine this very plausible scenario. You're walking to your front row seat at the AAA Mega World Wrestling Championship, where suddenly you trip and fall into a vortex that pulls you back to the moment you're about to deliver your first presentation. What are you presenting about, if you remember, and what would today you say to yesterday you? So the cool thing is that my first talk, my first keynote that I ever did is on YouTube. Oh, cool. <laughs> it was in St. Louis. It was in 2015. And it was in St. Louis for the American Marketing Association. And I want to say that the talk was called The Future of Social Media Marketing. Nice. So for all of you listeners out there, you know, have fun looking that up on YouTube. And what you're going to see is a, is a much younger, greener version of me that didn't <laughs> have the same like type of stage presence or confidence as I do now. You know, I would say to my younger self, quite frankly, um, just know that what you're getting ready to do is going to open up doors for your future. And Aww. that's the, that's the belief that I have in everything that I do. Like 10 years from now, I'll be a better speaker than I am right now. 10 years from now, I'll be more successful, wealthier, have more contacts than I have right now. But 10 years from now is not going to happen if I don't just kill it right now. So I live very much about the now instead of looking too far ahead. I live very much for what I can do right now to be the best version of myself with an understanding that everything I do now is just a stepping stone for the future. So uh, I get asked that question a lot, like, what would you tell your younger self? What would you do differently? <laughs> First of all, I wouldn't do anything differently because right. I wouldn't be who I am mm -hmm. today if I did anything differently. Uh, especially when I start thinking about like, if I would have gone to college at a younger age and different right. things like that, that just kind of leads you to a, uh, you know, a rabbit hole of what if possibilities. The, <laughs> the reality of the matter is that you can't change the past at all. Yeah. So um, you can drive yourself crazy thinking about what if I would have done this different? What if I would have done that? You can't do anything to change the past. So just embrace it. You are who you are today because of the decisions that you've made along the past. 
But with that being said, once you have that knowledge, you can also manipulate and manifest your future. Once you have an understanding that every single time you step on stage, there will be someone in that audience that you impact. There will be someone. Uh, You are the only person that I've done a podcast interview with from the Philly Digital Summit Conference. Yes. Right? So like those are the little wins <laughs> that start to stack up. Right. If you hang around for 10 years and you get those wins over and over, stop worrying about the money. Stop worrying mm. about the opportunities. They'll come. Oh my gosh. That is really beautiful advice. Of course, accepting that it can't be any different than it was is the ultimate Buddhist detachment, right? For for bliss. But I absolutely love what you said that this presentation could be a door to your future. I was like, that's what I've been trying to encapsulate in what I teach is is embracing that. Amazing. Well, it was a perfect way to wrap this up and our time has unfortunately run out, but please tell the listeners where they can keep up with you. First and foremost, thank you so much, Leah, for having me <laughs> here on your podcast, because, you know, I'm, I'm such a proponent of relationship building and this is a byproduct of what happens when you go outside of your comfort zone, you go to a <laughs> conference and whether you're a speaker or an attendee, this is what happens when you just meet people and take a risk. So thank you. Yes. First, I want to encourage anyone out there listening to go get the end of marketing by going to endofmarketingbook.com. It's on Amazon. Um, Book drops officially October 29th. So be sure to grab your copy. If you get the copy, be sure to send me a tweet. Tag me on Instagram at carloskill83. Let me know that you are supporting my work. And in return, I'd love to support you and your work as well. Awesome. And all of the links and all of the tools, everything we've mentioned will be available will be available on the show notes page for this episode. And if you happen to be in the New England or Boston area, October 21st to 22nd, you can come catch me and Carlos speaking at Digital Summit. So we'll get to meet again. And I just want to thank you so much again for being on the show today. We had a great talk at Summit and you just gave us so much invaluable advice. So I'm looking forward to our paths crossing again. Likewise. Thank you so much, Leah. Wowie, wowie, wow. I love having the privilege of sharing the amazing journeys of speakers like Carlos and all of the wisdom that those journeys offer to you, my dear listener. Because I will tell you from experience that there are no shortcuts in building a successful presenting career, but there are also no reasons to reinvent the wheel from scratch. And I just discovered that Grammarly has a special keyboard app for iPhone, Typo Tyranny Solved. Once again, to catch all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes page at leahpika.com slash 048, including a link to pre-order Carlos's book, which is now at the top of my reading list. And I would love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions because I want to hear about the challenges you're facing in telling your data stories. If you like what you've heard, hop on over to iTunes to subscribe, make sure you never miss an episode, and please leave a rating and review because that really lets me know that I'm on the right track for you and it helps get this valuable content in the hands of other practitioners like yourself. 
And I'll leave you with a bit of presentation inspiration by customer service guru Shep Lichen. And that is, recognize that every interaction you have is an opportunity to make positive impact on others. Oh, I love that one so much for this episode. And my take is that I learned a lot on today's show about getting more on the ground to engage with and interact with my presentation audience and my followers and not just retreat to my cave. And I'm also realizing that both my presentations and my interactions are doors to a bright future of my choosing. And now they can be that for you. That's it for today. Once again, hop on over to leahpeka.com slash bootcamp and get all signed up for the training that you wish you'd had and you won't find anywhere else. And stay tuned for even more exciting authors and experts on the podcast horizon. Wishing you an awesome close to September. Namaste and namago. And that's a wrap. Oh gosh, and um, I, I, uh, give me one second. Okay, cool. Sweet. Eight. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. <laughs> All right. And now I'm losing it a little bit. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm, I'm,